Hello and welcome to The Lowdown, an insider's look at stories touching our lives here on Cape Cod and beyond. My name is Ira Wood, and you're listening to us today on WOMR 92.1 FM Provincetown, WFMR 91.3 FM Orleans, and streaming worldwide on WOMR.org. Not long ago, we aired a show on the party drug MDMA, also known as ecstasy. We talked about the fact that the drug had originally been developed for therapeutic use, but during the 1980s, it had been hijacked and mass-produced for illegal use at raves and dance festivals. Recently, however, the pendulum has swung back, and as a result of clinical trials conducted in accordance with FDA standards, it was concluded that combined with talk therapy, MDMA had proven to produce clinically meaningful improvement for almost 90% of patients with PTSD, as well as other difficult-to-treat mental health conditions. Because these studies have encouraged additional research on other psychedelics, they're increasingly getting buy-in from mental health professionals and lawmakers around the world. In fact, in 2018, the FDA designated psilocybin a breakthrough therapy for severe depression. Today we're talking with Wilderness Sairchild, a Cape Cod psychotherapist who has trained in and guided journeys with the psychedelic medicine psilocybin. You may also know her as an award-winning poet and playwright from Brewster, Wilderness Sairchild. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Hi, how you doing? So were you as surprised as many of us uh, when psychedelics were being taken seriously by the powers that be in the mental health community after so many years of being denounced? Um, I, I, I can't say I was surprised um, because I've been studying and looking into this for a while, so I knew personally how helpful it could be, uh, personally and for uh, for any number of reasons for people. Um, but I think what surprises me more than anything is how bipartisan this issue is. And so many law enforcement agencies and people and veterans are speaking up in favor of legalization. Um, so it's great to have a, an issue that is... Um, yeah, supported you know, across the yeah. board. Yes. My goodness. So many people find it difficult to reimagine a recreational or ceremonial drug as therapeutic. Break it down for us. What's the difference between psychedelic-assisted therapy, ceremonial psychedelics, and recreational psychedelics? Well, recreational would be what a lot of people know about psychedelics, like going to a party or going to a rock concert and being handed um, a psychedelic drug and just taking it. So that's recreational. Um, and in psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, it isn't really um, necessarily separate from ceremonial. Um, but I'll talk about them each and then how they go together. Um, in psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, there is um, a whole screening process that's very in-depth, um, a preparation process that, um, for me, when I've worked with people, it is you know, like around three hours of preparation, and that's after the initial informational talk and after the screening. Um, there's And then there's uh, the journey itself, and then afterwards there's an integration period. And that 
I mean, that can take the rest of your life. But for me, I would offer two integration sessions so that would go up to about three hours. And then I would refer the person to someone who specializes in integration therapy. So the, the preparation and the integration are just as or more important than the journey itself. Um, so you don't get any of that with recreational, and so recreational could actually be dangerous or it could be fabulous, but how does it apply to the rest of your life? You don't get that with recreational. Ceremonial is that is about how most of these plant uh, and earth medicines um, have been discovered you know, I don't know, thousands of years ago um, by indigenous peoples who are still using them. And, um, and it's been a sacred part of their um, spiritual um, ceremonies and the way they live their life. And, um, and so for me and the work that I've been doing, I don't want to in any way discount the the work that indigenous people have done with this so so the ceremonial part would be this isn't just a me, you know medical where you come into a sterile room this is a sacred journey that a person's about to go on and depending on their beliefs um, their own spiritual beliefs and everything would have everything to do with how I might facilitate that. But I always bring the ceremonial into the um, psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. So you have guided uh, people on psychedelic journeys with psilocybin. Let's just say, let's make it clear, you do not do it on Cape Cod. It's not legal here in Massachusetts. Right. Is that correct? So yes. so you have done it, you told me, in Costa Rica, where, yes. it, where it is legal. Yes. Could you talk a little bit about your training? What, 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 how did you, you were a family therapist, still mm-hmm. are a family therapist. Mm-hmm. How, how did you decide to take the training and what did it entail? Um, well, first I read a book by Michael Pollan um, called How to Change Your Mind. And for anyone who's new to this, that is my number one recommendation for a book to read. Um, and from reading that book, I, I saw how helpful um, these, these medicines could be for people. And not just people with depression and PTSD or end of life or um, any other diagnosis, um, but also for healthy people who aren't going through any kind of trauma but just want to open themselves up and, and see what else is there and what other worlds there are. Um, so um, let's see. Tell me, the, what was the question? Well, again? the question is, what was your training? Oh, so okay. you went from, you went from, obviously you have all the degrees for a family therapist. Mm-hmm. How does one become a a journey leader and work yeah, with psilocybin? Okay. Um, so after reading this book, I decided that I wanted to get some training and looked into the various trainings. And I uh, decided to enter an 18-month training program at Synthesis Institute. And so it was 18 months of online training. Um, and um, they covered 
everything. They started with the science of um, the mushroom, and they covered trauma. This was not easy. Um, you had to go no, back no. to school and, and oh, do yeah. a lot of studying. And every month we had a big assignment due. And it wasn't until halfway through the program that we got to preparation and then um, and then the journey itself and then integration. Um, and then at the end, they had this big exam called a warrior exam and uh, that we had to pass in order to become certified. Um, so that was my training, and then um, and then after the online part, um, my class did a retreat in Costa Rica. Where partially we were participants, and partially we were facilitators. Um, so it was part of our practicum, um, and I still have I think fifteen hours of practicum work to do that um, that I'll be doing in the near future, um, and. Um, yeah, so that's the training, and it was very in-depth, a lot of work, and rewarding, and I learned so much. If you're just joining us, you're listening to The Lowdown with Ira Wood and WOMR. Today we're talking about the uses of psychedelics in promoting emotional, psychological, and spiritual growth. My guest is Wilderness Sarechild, a longtime mental health therapist living in Brewster. So you had told me, and maybe we can do this quickly because it sounded interesting, that there are four primary lenses or ways of knowing that capture the breadth and depth of the psychedelic field. So maybe you could brief, briefly explain what it means by embodied, cognitive, sacred, and relational. What do they all mean? Okay. Um, well, the school that I went to, every month we would have a new topic. So let's say one month the topic was trauma. Well, the first week of the month, it would be studying trauma from an embodied lens. The second week would be studying trauma from a cognitive lens. The third would be from a sacred lens. And the fourth would be from a relational lens. Okay, so, so just using trauma as um, this, an example. Um, we carry trauma in our bodies, and we might not even cognitively remember ways that we've been traumatized, but our body always remembers. Um, uh, you've probably heard of the book, The yes, Body Knows sure. the Score by Bessel mm-hmm. van der Kolk. Um, so, um, you know, in a lot of the work that people often have to do in preparation for a journey and integration afters is somatic body work because so much is is living in the body um, and often in a journey um, memories will come up through this bodily experience that um, people hadn't realized things that had happened um, so that's the embodied perspective and then the cognitive perspective is the more scientific view um, what is trauma what, where does it come from? How do you heal it? You know, so it's, it's just the whole science of it. And then um, the sacred lens would be how do indigenous uh, cultures work with trauma? And how is it different from how we in you know, Western societies work with trauma? Um, usually in indigenous cultures, it is um, usually... Th- they see things more communally. Like it's not just happening to the person, but something's going on in the community. So trauma would be um, looked at through a community lens. 
um, and also healed that way too. Um, and whereas, you know, we go in this society, we go to a doctor's office and, and even with psychedelics, often you go to, uh, in a study, you'll go to a pretty sterile room and you'll be treated individually. So that would be more the sacred lens. And then interrelational um, is that um, we're, we're using these medicines. Again, it sort of goes with what I was saying with the sacred lens. We're using these medicines to heal as a whole, as a society, not just for the individual. Um, the experiences that people have when they're taking these journeys often um, are so big, and they're and they're they're not just about a personal way of looking at things, but a um, larger, larger way. And. And what does it mean? What does it mean for the person? And what does it mean for their community and their family? So can you talk about what the facilitator actually does? I mean, you it sounds to me like you work with a person long before the journey, during the journey, and after the journey. Do they have to be your patients? Or are they referred to you? And do you work with another therapist with the person or wh what does a journey leader do okay um well when it becomes i'll tell you what i will do when it becomes legal okay okay um a, p a person would have to be referred to me or have met me and um and then so the first thing i would do is they would have to fill out a screening form that would probably take them a couple of hours to do and, um, and I look through that form to see if there's anything that's uh, contraindicated. Is there anything that raises a red flag? Oh, yeah. There's yeah. all kinds of things that raise yes. a red flag? Can yes. you give me an example of what might Well, if a person is holding a lot of trauma and they haven't done any therapy or haven't done enough therapy or the right kind of therapy, um, the... Uh, the psychedelic journey could really take them into um, even more trauma. So I wouldn't accept anybody into, you know, as a client um, to take a journey if I didn't feel like they were psychologically ready for it. The other thing is they might be on medications that are contraindicated. Now, with, with most psychedelics, there's a lot of... Uh, contraindications with medication. With psilocybin, um, the, only, the only one that's truly contraindicated is um, lithium. But other, like anti SSRIs and other antidepressants, can blunt their experience. So they can come in um, to um, take this journey and not really have a lot happen because their antidepressants have um, have blunted it. The other thing is that even if they're not on antidepressants, if they have um, psychological blockages that, like in internal family systems therapy, they would call them protectors or fire firefighters. Those those are these parts inside us that protect us from being hurt. 
um, from taking risks, you know. So those protectors can be so strong that they can also blunt a journey. So not everyone who t- who takes a, um, a psychedelic journey has one of these world-changing, life-changing experiences. Um, so as, you know, when I'm screening, my job is to, first of all, make sure it's going to be safe for them. And sometimes when I see it isn't, I'll, I'll ask them to get into therapy, usually with an internal family systems therapist. And I'll say, when you and your therapist decide you're ready, then the three of us will talk and decide together. When people are using the drug recreationally, as, as many people have, and they experience what's called a bad trip, what is that? What is going on when a person is not being guided properly and has a bad trip? Well, um, a trip can be really, I mean, I don't call it a trip, I call it a journey. A journey can be really um, scary. It can take you to very scary places. And if you're at a party or you're alone, you don't know what to do with that and you freak out. If you've been prepared and you have a, a trained facilitator with you, then the facilitator is going to sit with you and is going to say, you're safe, I'm here with you, I'm not going to let anything bad happen to you, just trust what's happening and you'll go through this um, and you'll get out to the other side. And so you just keep encouraging them um, because even if you give them something like Xanax to stop the journey, that trauma can get stuck and make things worse later. So the best thing is to have a facilitator who helps them to go through it. And, um, you know, I had, I had someone who was having a really um, scary time and was so agitated. And, um, and, you know, I talked to him just the way I told you I would. And, um, and I asked him if he wanted me to hold his head. And so I put my hands under his head. And, um, and he, just, he just started to breathe and relax. And, and then, he, you know, eventually he said, I'm okay now. Thank you for helping me get through that. So, so really, I don't think there's a bad journey, but I f- there's such a thing as a bad journey. But there is such a thing as an unfacilitated journey where it can feel bad. And then the other thing is that after a journey is over, a person might say, oh, I, that was a bad journey because this didn't happen or that didn't happen. So that's in the integration. My job would be to show them how that was not a bad journey and try to get them to explore why whatever happened needed to happen and what needs to happen now. If you're just joining us, you're listening to The Lowdown with Ira Wood and WOMR. Today we're talking about the uses of psychedelics in mental health therapy. My guest is Wilderness Sarechild, a longtime mental practitioner living in Brewster who is trained in guiding journeys using psilocybin. What's been the best experience? What what can you what can you point out as have been ha, have you personally or someone that you know or guided journeys had like any kind of real breakthroughs from a journey? Oh yes, um, and again, if you want to 
re- if your listeners want to know about a lot of experiences like that, read Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind. Um, I can just talk about myself. Um, I'm 75 years old, and so, you know, death is coming. I mean, maybe it'll be 20 years, maybe shorter, but it's it's not far off. And um, in a couple of the psilocybin journeys that I've done, I've met my own death. Um, I've met the dying process, and it's just really helped me to, one, not be afraid, but two, just feel some grace around it. However it's going to happen, whenever it's going to happen, um, I'm, not, I'm just not afraid like I was before. Um, and then trauma-wise for me, I'm not sure what happened when I was a child, but I was always terrified at night. And I would pull the covers over me and you know, so that nothing bad could get to me. And I don't know if that was just childhood imagination or if something happened to me, or it could even be generational, something that happened that I'm not even aware of back generations, or I'm Jewish, it could even be the Holocaust, you know. So I don't know what happened, but I do know that I ha- have suffered a lot of insomnia as an adult. And somehow through these the journeys I've done, I've been able to connect that I actually have PTSD from when I was um, so terrified as a child. And, um, and so they've just really helped me to look at that, really nurture the inner child inside me, um, and, and to not, it's like I'm sleeping so much better, but, but also on the nights that I have trouble sleeping, I'm not fidgety. I'm not anxious. I'm just calm. Sometimes I'll get up and go outside and just look at the stars or, you know, I might get up and read a book or I might just lie there and meditate. Um, but it's, it's a whole different experience since I've, since I've, um, begun to, um, experience the earth medicine. How long does it, how long is a journey? You take, uh, psilocybin famously makes you a little nauseous. Is is that still the case, that that, that the drug makes you a little nauseous well, before you take it? you might. Are, are you sure you're thinking of psilocybin? I might be thinking of mushrooms. I am not. Psilocybin is mushrooms, but ayahuasca uh-huh. is is the one that's known as the purging uh, medicine. Um but people do get nauseous through psilocybin. It's just not not as it's much not, or as you know. It's not as that with famous. Ayahuasca. Yeah. Um, but um, there's a way they're doing it now that um, take that they say takes away the nausea. 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 No, yeah. I'm getting to pronounce it. But anyway, um, and I've never felt it myself. Okay, so it's not something that you have I've to be afraid n- yeah, of. Yeah, I've never seen anyone else um, purge from it like I have with ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Um, but this new, usually you serve the mushrooms either straight where people eat them or you put them in a tea, but they still have to eat all the dregs. And now what they're doing is squeezing um, like over the mushrooms, one and a half lemons, and then pouring hot water over that, let it steep for 20 minutes. And that citrus removes the syllabi from the psilocybin, which is what makes 
you hallucinate and go and go into extraordinary reality. And it's um, supposed to mostly eliminate any nausea because you don't eat the drugs anymore. You sift those out and you just drink this wonderful lemon tea. How long does it take? How long is it is a journey generally? Um, anywhere between four and eight hours. Oh, really? Yeah. And again, with this um, new method called lemon tacking, um, usually um, the, you go into extraordinary reality quicker. It doesn't last as long but it's more intense. Um, so the way that most people do it would be four to eight hours, usually around six. And with the lemon tucking, it's more like four or five. Um, so that a lot of people don't even know about that. It's so new. It must be exhausting for you to... <laughs> it must be exhausting to lead a journey. I mean, you have to, you yourself have to prepare to be a journey leader, wouldn't you, to work with a person for oh, yeah. four to eight hours, I mean, four to eight hours with the actual journey? Mm-hmm. It's There's a lot of preparation. Um, they talk about set and setting. You know, the setting that we provide is so important um, where a person can feel safe um, and well taken care of. And like I talked about before with preparation, their mindset is so important. But it's not exhausting at all. Um, Maybe the next day, you know, so I always take a day or two off to recover. Um, But it is such an honor to sit there and bear witness to people going through whatever it is that they're going through. Are they talking? Are they talking about their trauma? Are they talking about... I'm trying to relate to this through the lens of being 25 years old and taking acid, you understand? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to understand what it's like. Are they constantly telling you what they're feeling? Are they describing colors and shapes and things? Usually they're not talking that much um, unless they're needing help with something. Um, and and all the learning I've done is about how every person has their own inner healer. And our job is not to intervene. Like as a therapist, I'm very active, but as a psychedelic facilitator, I trust their inner healer will come. And so I only get involved if I'm asked to or if someone's obviously really agitated. Um, so, um, you know, I, I get to. I get to be with them while they're going through this. And sometimes afterwards when they tell me what they went through, I had no idea. But I still felt, I still knew something really important was happening. Now, if they need to go to the bathroom, I will never let them walk out to the bathroom by themselves. I always mm-hmm. take their hand and go with them. And, um, and you know, sometimes they'll talk to me then about what's happening. They keep their awareness. Even, they could be, so far away in extraordinary reality and yet still have a, an awareness of where they are, that I'm there, that if they need help, they can ask for So it. last question, where is it legal? How, f- if, if, I mean, I'm fascinated by this. I imagine some listeners might be. When do you think it might be available to us here in Massachusetts? Is that on the way? Um, yes. Now, it is legal in Oregon, and it's... They've passed um, 
something in Colorado that it's it's on its way to being legal. Right now in Massachusetts, um, there's been some bills um, put into the legislature. I don't know the right language, but right. Um, so it's on the way. Um, and the last article I was reading looks like if it's going to happen, it probably would be in the next couple of years. And I read something where one thing is where it's going to be decriminalized, which doesn't mean it's legal, but it means it won't be prosecuted. But then I was just reading something else where they're actually talking about legalizing it. Okay, so people should write to Sarah Peake. Yes. And tell, her to, <laughs> and tell her to legalize psychedelics. Hey, I just want to thank you. It's such yeah. exciting work mm-hmm. that you're doing. Are there other therapists here on the Cape doing it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there are others that, are, that have studied. And again, it's illegal, so... Um, right. So when we facilitate, we facilitate where it is legal. Okay, so and also it, when it does um, get legalized in different states, the states have regu- regulators who figure out who can do this and who can't. So, for instance, in Oregon, the school that I went to had already been approved by Oregon so that if I lived there, I would have been I would have been it would have been legal for me to do this, but not necessarily necessarily for any therapist okay well thank you so much for for i mean it's a big heads up for (laughs) that what i think a lot of us will be interested in Mm -hmm. my guest today has been therapist wilderness sarechild and we've been talking about the use of the psychedelic drug psilocybin in mental health therapy i want to thank maddie dunn for his tech work on the show as wilderness told us uh, if you want to know more about this read michael pollan's book how to change your mind how to change your mind which seems to run it all down this is ira wood with the lowdown on the brave new world of mental health treatment using psychedelic drugs one interview at a time bye for now Mm -hmm.